Hello and welcome to the second episode of season two of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm performance poet and Byronic hero Giles Goff. And I'm photographer and plucky stable boy with ideas above his station, Phil Coleman. And during this time of economic uncertainty, we'll be trying to stave off the desire to host an illegal rave by sticking on our film geek cravats to analyse Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, specifically the 2011 version as directed by Carrie Fukunaga. We'll be looking at the issues of integrity, different models of Christianity, and sex and celibacy for Christians. Phil, what do you think of the film? I was just surprised by how gripping it is like i'd i had this image of it being like a bit more of a pride and prejudice style thing where everyone was like oh yeah oh look at me you know that kind of like very um taut kind of way of being as it were i found it really really engaging like the the character michael fassbender's character encapsulates everything there is to be like you know quite broken and a little bit weird i, I mean for, i guess <laughs> for me I, I think i could sum up my entire feelings on this one with two words michael fassbender yes. like i'm not wishing to detract from the other members of the cast uh mia wasikowska does a brilliant job as uh, as jane you've got jamie bell there as uh, sinjin in there and obviously you've got like judy dench just chilling out as mrs fairfax sort of in oh. in there as well but when he's on screen he just smolders i i think he's he's the perfect mr rochester well i was watching it with elise and uh, she mm-hmm. was just saying like wow judy dench has just got the most soothing voice hasn't she you know <laughs> she could just listen to her speak all day I, I, I couldn't help but agree i mean her coming from yorkshire I, I don't know it's the same with patrick stewart i could just listen to him talk all yeah. day as well and i think it's just that yorkshire charm awesome so without further ado let's get on to phil's facts so we'll get the obvious out of the way Jane Eyre is a 2011 romantic drama film directed by Carrie Fukunaga and starring Mia Wasikowska and Michael Fassbender. The screenplay is written by Moira Buffini based on Charlotte Bronte's 1847 novel of the same name, a classic of the Gothic, Bildungsroman and romance genres. Bildungsroman Do you know what the... a builder... yeah, Sorry, <laughs> my English teacher part of my brain was literally about to jump in and tell you what a Bildungsroman was. I was, was. just about to tell you. Um, but <laughs> go for it. B- Bildungsroman is the mm-hmm. moral and psychological growth of the main character and it's from the German which literally means novel of education. So it sort of follows yeah. like somebody's moral growth. In modern terms we would call it a coming of age story. Okay, yeah, um... that you know what, that That's, feels much that, more that succinct. Bildungsroman is just his coming-of-age story with some fancy A-levels to show around. You know, that's all, <laughs> it, that's all that is. I wish I had more anyway, fancy A-levels to shove around. Um, so, hmm? the location of Jane Eyre's cottage was so isolated that there was no mobile phone reception. A member of the crew had okay. to be stationed in a nearby phone booth with a walkie-talkie <laughs> in case the crew needed anything. He didn't complain, <laughs> however, as the local residents brought him tea and biscuits all day. <laughs> Can you think of a more British thing to do for somebody? That sounds wonderful. (laughs) To help create the gothic atmosphere present in this movie, many shots were lit exclusively by firelight or candlelight. That just sounds like a nightmare to film, though, doesn't it? The way I thought about it, like coming from a cameraman perspective, I was thinking, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a camera that's very sensitive to light, or you're going to have to have, like, literally a roaring fire (laughs) next to, like, Michael (laughs) Fassbender, who's just there like, bloody hell, it's hot. 
you know. You'd have to have like a, a super low f stop on your on your camera for that. Super sort of thing, low f stop. You? You're gonna have to have your sensor's gonna have to be completely wide open. It's gonna be like ISO sixty four hundred mm. at least. Although to be fair, a lot yeah. of modern cameras nowadays can just smash it. Yeah, I was gonna say like you and I we're talk, we're thinking in terms of like commercially available DSLRs. You you, you would hope that Carrie Fukunaga has better toys to play with than we do. I'd hope you know? so. Coming from the guy who directed it. I'd really hope he had better toys than us. It's funny, like looking at his his filmography, it's really difficult to find like a a recurring theme, isn't it? We go from sort of period dramas to popular literary adaptations. He seems um, to be, um, and then he we seems to, James he seems Bond. to be following like the Robert Zemeckis school of being eclectic when it comes to choosing films to direct. You know, he yeah, seems to have a good range insane. in terms of directing stuff. Anyway, sorry, Karen. While shooting the climactic post-wedding scene between Jane Eyre and Miss Edward Rochester, filming had to mm-hmm. be stopped repeatedly because Fassbender's suspenders kept breaking and had to be resewn. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can only imagine is the most frustrating thing for the art department. Well, the costume department. Right? Yeah, that is brilliant. Awesome. While the majority of the book takes place in the 1830s, director Kari Fukunaga changed the timeline so that most of the movie took place about a decade later because he felt that the mid-1830s fashion was very over the top and unflattering. And he wanted to dress mm-hmm. Mrs. Reed in those styles rather than Jane Eyre. Which I think makes sense considering, like, she's. I think it reflects her character and how she feels about herself. Sort of dressing yeah, less sort of, a, like, flamboyantly. Just shows the depth that, that uh, a filmmaker is willing to go to to make those kind of choices and, and changes, you know? Because mm. it's not the sort of thing that we would pick up on, you know? With a very sort of reductive version of history, it's like you've got, for the 1800s, you've got the Regency period where some fun stuff happened. Then you've got the <laughs> Victorian era where nobody had any fun for about 70 years. It's well documented, and actually. Then there's... Just look at Queen Victoria. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know... And then it's Charles Dickens and misery porn all the way through. So yeah, no, that's fascinating. Sorry, this is not something I mentioned in my uh, in my script, but this is something I found mm-hmm. out today. The guy that plays Richard Mason in Jane Eyre, in mm-hmm. the 2011 version, his name yeah. is Harry Lloyd. And it's funny you should mention Charles Dickens because Charles Dickens mm-hmm. is his great 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 grandfather. Oh wow! I was How I only cool found that? it out today. He, he's the same guy who played Viserys uh, in Game of Thrones, and he was uh, in the Family of Blood. Yeah, I didn't clock that it was the it was the same guy, but I did know that Viserys was. Um, was related to Charles Dickens. Yeah, I didn't, I, um, yeah, I didn't no, know that's... that, and I was like, what? <laughs> it was just, like, mental. Considering his name's not really Dickens. Cool. So, Ellen Page was the first choice for the lead role, but withdrew when production was delayed. Mia Vushikovska was later cast. I kind of wish you hadn't told me that now, because I can't unsee that Ellen Page version, and I would have yeah. loved to have seen Ellen Page as Jane Eyre. I think she would have been absolutely perfect for that. That's I think she would have played... It, it just, she's got that sort of, like, demeanor I think that would play that character really well, just naturally. Yeah, definitely. Oh well, <clears throat> not yeah. that you know, not that Mia did a uh, did a bad job, but you know, you, you you when it comes to actors, you have your favourites, don't you? Of course, yeah. And Ellen Page is well, she's got the chops and she'd be able to do it, I think, really yeah. well. Director Kerry Fukunaga wanted a scene to illustrate how much Mr. Rochester's presence at Thornfield Hall disrupted the lives of its permanent residents. So we wrote the dinner mm-hmm. scene in which Mrs. Fairfax, Jane, and Adele Varens tried to carry on conversation whilst Mr. Rochester fires a gun right outside the window. This scene does not take place in the novel. <laughs> but it's in the... And in this movie's commentary, uh, Fukunaga explains mm-hmm. that it was only the only original scene written for the movie. 
It's Can a great you imagine scene as well. that that moment as the producer or as the uh, person adapting the novel when the director comes in and says, um, "So it's great, but <laughs> could we have a few more gunfights in there?" <laughs> I mean, watching you know, the film may- as well, that particular scene, he doesn't appear to be fighting out. He just seems to be shooting off into the distance. Yeah, but- yeah. This <laughs> is basically rich people squared. You know, they just shoot <laughs> stuff because they can. Unfortunately, that is not a theme that has gone away. Yeah. You can see that a lot. Anyway, last one. Director Fukunaga chose not okay. to film any footage of Thornfield Hall burning down because he wanted this movie to feel like the novel, which is entirely first person from Jane's perspective. In the book, Jane's yeah. not present for the fire, and Fukunaga didn't feel that there was a way to include it organically in the movie. And I completely agree with that. Yeah, no, that sounds right. And also it, it enhances that sense of, of shock when you get there and you do just see the the ruins it's yeah. the idea that that things are 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 aren't done and dusted and there is nothing you can do to to change them whatever they whatever the outcome was yeah you can't save it unfortunately that event has yeah. passed and plus we've got ben wheatley's version of rebecca coming up hopefully sometime soon so if you want to see manor houses burning down then you oh. will will not have to wait too long for that stuff i'll, I'll go watch that then <laughs> anyway that's me thanks anyway. for this phil they were really illuminating now for our special guest who i'm so super excited for this person is featured on our most popular episode of the podcast was absolutely key to getting the god in film podcast up and running and is by far the most attractive returning guest we've had i'll let her introduce herself hello i am claire goff um as has appeared previously on this podcast Ooh. hello um, claire i am charles's wife and riley's mum <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> Welcome is, to uh, the podcast, Riley. Introducing himself also. Though. Riley is making his debut on the episode. Yeah, his and... first, uh, first time featuring. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I am also giant Jane Eyre fan. Yeah, absolutely massive fan. For those of you listening, our son Riley was born six weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we're desperately trying to get this episode out to you guys. So he's going to be joining us. With sincerest apologies if you hear some crying thrown in there it's either riley or phil it's yes. difficult to tell it's usually i'll be me. talking at this pace yeah <laughs> in order to get the sun before riley wakes up <laughs> and now okay. it's time for <gasps> finding the faith in the film da, 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 da. i can't tell you how much i've missed that <laughs> i'm so excited to hear that again <laughs> all right clash do you want to kick us off so today we are looking at jane eyre yeah the 2011 film with mia vashakovska i really like this film it's not my favorite adaptation of jane eyre because there's a lot that they don't include from the books but i know that that's kind of inevitable because the book's really really dense um and she's a little mm. bit too pretty for my liking jane eyre's gonna be a little bit ugly she's a bit too pretty um but i'll find a way to be okay with it <laughs> i love that i love the fact like yeah you know what the film was great michael fassbender oh peak performance but you know what she's wearing too much of that good face yeah face is too pretty uh the film opens with the moment where she leaves thornfield interestingly so the first shot of the film is her opening the door from thornfield and into the outside so you're kind of going into the light from the, the dark interior. And it's kind of very reflective of, of her kind of running from immorality within <laughs> um, into 
purity, hopefully. Jane Eyre is such a rich story, and the book's got a, a lot of Christian content and detail about Jane's spiritual life, which is actually a huge part of her, and this is often left out of film and TV adaptations. Mm. Understandably in some ways, because it is a very dense book, and a lot of it is about her internal life, which is quite difficult to sort of <laughs> get onto screen, really. And Jane is one of my absolute heroes, and that is that is one of the reasons, really, is is her faith, which I really admire. So when Jane's a child, God is, is used as a threat to discipline her, really, in classic mm. Victorian fashion. You know, if you're bad... Yeah. Thanks, Riley. If you're bad, you'll go to hell. God's <laughs> um, going to look at you is... and just go, uh-uh-uh. Yeah, so, so you're very naughty. You shall go into a pit full of fire when you die. <laughs> mm, that's nice. <laughs> but that does lead to the classic line when she replies to, to Mr. Brocklehurst and how she can avoid going to hell. She says she must keep in good health and not die. Um, <laughs> which I kind of love as a response <laughs> from her. Yeah, I'm just trying not to crawl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's her, her method of staying out of the pit. He's a he's um, a nasty piece of work, is that Mr. Brocklehurst as well? Oh, he's mm. a real dick, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. His revelry in exacting power over people is really yeah. hard to watch. I feel we're still suffering the consequences of Christianity being used as a yeah. form of social control. Really horrendous system where people are sort of put down, minorities are oppressed, and I feel like we're still having to deal with the reputation of that mm. now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not obviously. No, I am the resident atheist here but from what I understand of Christianity, Catholicism, just believing in God in general, kind of not the point is it to oppress anybody mm-hmm. or feel as though you have power over someone else, it's about togetherness and about community and, you know, yeah. so to, to use yeah. that as a form of control, a form yeah. of oppression, well, you're not, to my mind, from what I understand, truly a Christian. Yeah. The other thing to factor in Mr. Brocklehurst is obviously his hypocrisy. I was just going to say, yeah, it's it's really horrific in the book when you see Mr. Brocklehurst use religion as an excuse to deprive the girls in the school. So he, he goes on about mortifying their flesh in order to purify their soul, which basically means starving them and keeping them in these Sheesh. horrendous conditions. Um, it's just an excuse like you say to exert power over them and he says that all while parading around his wife and daughters who are dressed in finery and have whatever they want you know it's, called, uh, it's pretty horrific it's not great <laughs> I'll be honest I don't think Jane really buys into the Christianity that she sees around her she tells Aunt Reed that God sees the injustice of how her aunt treats her and that her, that her parents in heaven um, see how Aunt Reed treats her and that she'll be punished for it. She has this innate sense of justice um, that I think is sort of God-given, really, and continues with her all her life. Yeah. Um, that that she has as a child, which, which is interesting. So when she gets to school, uh, she meets Helen, who has a much gentler faith yeah. than anything she's seen yeah. before. And Helen teaches her about sort of bearing with suffering and injustice. She says when this line is in the film, life is too short to spend nursing animosity, um, which is which is great yeah. and really good advice. Yeah. 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 Helen, is, as a character, is a little bit away with the fairies. Um, a little bit of a Luna Lovegood kind of vibe yeah, to her. Yeah, I think she's meant to be very spiritual. Um, she, her faith is really real for her. Um, so she's very kind of conscious of the spiritual world around her. Isn't Helen Burns loosely based on one of the Bronte sisters that passed away? Yes, I think you're right. How loosely, I don't know. Right, okay, sure. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I know that they were all sent off to a school for like the daughters of clergymen mm. and they had like an outbreak of typhoid and they, they, they lost 
that's lots a, of girls there, similar to. That's a thing. So a school for the daughters of clergymen. So clergymen would be the kind of the, the second sons of sort of noble families or, or anything like that. Right. So you'd, you'd end up with people with upper class educations and, and sort of uh, culture, but with like lower middle class money. So right. they're always left in that kind of awkward situation. It's the kind of things that Lizzie Bennet has, the kind of problem she has in, um, in Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Uh, being that kind of cultured, but not the not the money that goes with it, you know. I see what you mean. Kind of like, kind of like lower middle class. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. One of the good things about Helen being of that nature is that she teaches Jane um, not to put too much stock in what people think and to kind of put more um, emphasis on what God thinks of her um, and to look forward to to heaven and. Just to kind of get a bit of perspective, basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Helen is that sort of model of Christianity where it's just focus on the spiritual side of things. Don't worry about the, the persecution you're going through at the moment. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but it's also becomes quite passive in its in its own way of just sort of sit there and accept what's being doled it, out to you. And one of the things <laughs> I like so much about Jane Eyre is she just doesn't take any crap from anybody, yeah. you know? So. There's a specific part in the film actually when just near the end when she's found out that rochester's got a wife albeit a fairly insane wife but you know a wife all the same still legal and he's saying like well why don't you want to be with me why is this mere human law keeping us apart and she's just like because i have respect for myself you know what i mean like and i was just like that's yeah no i completely believe in that like and that's how it should be you know it's not to do with law it's to do with integrity yeah integrity is one of the one of the key things i think you notice with jane and and also i feel like in modern day terms integrity is some of the thing one of the important parts of being a Christian, knowing there's certain things you have to stick to, mm. irrespective of what uh, any pressures from the world are saying about, you know? Mm. Uh, and I find it particularly pertinent with this film because, in simple terms, this is a story about two people who just want to get off with each other. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, basically, yeah. There's some very fancy clothing, uh, but that's that's the basis of it, you know? If, if you... That's one of the best things about the book, is their chemistry is just... just frazzling yeah it's so intense if you if you strip back all the sort of like the fancy language and all of the Mm. sort of like the frilly clothes it'd just be like i proper like you jane (laughs) i think you're dead nice yeah you're not right yourself mr mr rochester sir one of the things i find gets shown up here is there's a key concept i've always felt in attraction was the idea that somebody will say something that you didn't expect them to say yeah somebody can surprise you particularly in those in those early stages i find that thoroughly enjoyable and, and really really impressive and i feel like you and i have got that in our in our mm, relationship yeah, as well yeah, yeah. you know i certainly have um, it with me and elise well that's why yeah. i married her <laughs> exactly yeah so like i say in in the book there is a, a character called miss temple who's a teacher at the school and between her and helen they teach jane about a much more mature faith than what she's seen before and much of it is about self-control and not putting too much stock in in worldly things and she just learns to kind of temper her passion and rein in her impetuous nature a little bit and Helen encourages not to worry too much about what other people think of her but to think of, of God's opinion and of her of her eternal soul kind of thing mm. um, and she she does need that because she's very fiery she's very passionate and she she does care a huge amount about what people think of her and it's it's important that that is kind of tempered a little bit by having a bit more respect for herself and value in herself rather mm. than what other people think of her so much. I think that's a lesson that a lot of people can learn as well 
well. Like, just don't allow outside pressure to shape who you are. Allow what you naturally believe to be correct to to sort of shape yourself. Obviously, within certain parameters, within like, reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's something I've been learning recently about value and validation. That you know, it's obviously it's really nice to to get some kind of validation, particularly as a as an artist. You want people to respond to to your work in some way, shape, absolutely. or form. Absolutely, but. Even if they don't, that doesn't necessarily detract from the value of the work that you're putting out there. And similarly, yeah. with as a as a human being, that you it's really it's really nice and really edifying to feel validated by people. But it doesn't change your value to God, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think as well your value to yourself. Yeah, coming from a non-religious standpoint, like if yeah. you don't have God, then really all you have is yourself as your sort of like yeah. you know your anchoring point your center point so you've got to stay true to that and i think jane does that yeah definitely yeah so um celibacy and the control of of sexual feelings and sexuality is a big theme in jane Eyre. it's basically the whole book is people just desperately trying to keep their pants on yeah. um, <laughs> it just it, it, it's coming off by itself i can't help myself <laughs> yeah so in the film after the aborted wedding attempt between Rochester and Jane. Rochester tries to persuade Jane to stay with him. She's sorely tempted. She's very tempted. Um, So she literally flees. And that's, that's how the film starts with this key moment, this decision to run away from what she sees as sexual immorality that he's offering her. And Rochester argues, who would care that we weren't married? Who are we going to be hurting by doing this? But she would know. And God yeah. would know. And she, she, you know, she has to have respect for herself. And in the film, there's just this, this short line um, that kind of sums up everything that goes through her head in the book, which is just, God help me. God help me. Yeah. And she, she, she really calls out to God in that moment to say, like, I love this man and I want, desperately want to stay with him and I know that it's wrong, so help me to do the right thing. Which is why it's just kind of this, just such a desperate running away, physically running away. Yeah. Because she, she knows that she will, is so tempted to stay and she has to literally run from it. <laughs> yeah, so I think for a lot of people, celibacy is the most difficult part of being a Christian, you know? Yeah. There tends to be a culture, particularly within sort of born-again Christian circles, where people get married super young, ridiculously mm-hmm. so. And I was I was a Christian at 14, and I got married at 34, so I had 20 years of celibacy. Now, yeah. to put put that into perspective for you it was like i had just gotten out of prison but all the time <laughs> you cannot like on being married and and being to being able to take part in the sexual union that we that we have it's well first of all it's awesome five stars would recommend <laughs> and uh, and secondly it turns out i'm quite good at it which is really nice because Sarah's also quite good at it too um there's, so there's a line that i believe that it might have been the bassist of green day said about green day saying see yeah. this band is a little bit like sex when we're good we're really good and when we're bad we're still pretty good <laughs> you know it's just one of them things <laughs> This is one of those times that I'm really happy that my mum doesn't listen to this podcast, you know? Ooh, so, yeah. um, I don't know if my mum does, so I'm not going to mention anything about my sex life. So, and it was also weird because after 
after you're able to have sex, all of a sudden you're able to think about other things, you know? It's like, like this... It's like a gate has been opened to there's you. There's so much of your brain that is now available to do to, to focus <laughs> on other stuff, you know? There's a, there's, so. a, um, there's a Luke Besson film with Scarlett Johansson that's a little bit like that, but it's very, very, uh, it's very left field, <laughs> you know, so... I just, I just felt it's sort of that thing, that aspect of, you know, what difference would it make? Who's going to know? The, if we really love each other, does it matter? We're going to get married anyway. All those kind of arguments you hear time and time and again... You you start to know who you are then when you get those kind of things thrown at you and when you're still able to, to hold off from it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't want to brag about celibacy because we push the envelope pretty flipping far, you know? <laughs> just if you want to just um, no not tell me anything, that'd be kind of Yeah, that'd be yeah, fine. yeah. Um, no, no comment. <laughs> but uh, it's one of the key things, one of the things that's really important and I thought it was, I just love to see it being exhibited in this mm. film here. Yeah. 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 No. The notion of celibacy to me is, to be honest, quite alien. Point in my life where I thought, yeah, I suppose so. It's not something that I can begin to know how it might even feel to make that choice for one, but yeah. also to make that choice not just for you, but for something you believe in as well. I don't have a frame of reference for that, so I do not know how that must feel. I remember I became a Christian at fourteen, yeah. and I didn't find out about the celibacy thing until a few weeks or months afterwards. <laughs> oh. So there was a, a there was a moment where it was like, wait, what? <clears throat> I can um, just imagine excuse, you just burst into a church, staring at the statue of Jesus and just being like, right, you and me have to have a word. You said nothing. <laughs> you said nothing about this. <laughs> uh, all I can say is at 14, it came in very useful to have an excuse as to why you're not having sex. Ah, oh, well, I'm really sorry, guys. I've, I mean, I'd love to have the sex, but I've got a note from my deity, so I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Out of the situation. <laughs> I've got a note from my deity. I thought the yeah. best excuse and, oh. and strictly between you and me being able to tell a girl it's like yeah no I really do find you attractive and I can definitely see there's a chemistry here but I just I just can't have sex with you and I'm really sorry is like catnip to uh, to so many girls out there, you know? Girl knit, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to. Anywho. Anyway, um... moving rapidly on. We'll probably cut this bit out. It's fine. Maybe. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to um, read a little bit from the book um, oh. here. So... And this is when she, the, the aborted wedding has happened and she's on her own in a room at the moment um, and she's just desperately trying to make the decision to leave. And she's thinking, let me be torn away then, I cried. Let another help me. No, you shall tear yourself away. None shall help you. You shall yourself pluck out your right eye, yourself cut off your right hand. Your heart shall be the victim and you the priest to transfix it. Damn. Which is wow. which is hardcore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's her kind of you know whatever you want to say. That's God, her inner conscience saying you need to make this decision to leave. It's down to you. Um, and that is a referencing a passage in I think Matthew uh, where Jesus says if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, mm. Which is you know uh, metaphorically we, yeah. we 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 hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, we like we 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 hope that Jesus was speaking in metaphorical terms there. But I did see it. I did yeah. see a brilliant meme that suggested that rather than telling women and girls to, to cover up or to dress more modestly, Jesus is like, well, do you know what? If you're having those lustful thoughts, I think maybe you should just pluck your own eyes out. Everyone's just like, oh. dude, dude, oh. that's that's a bit yeah. much. 
Like <laughs> Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, this is your problem, not the girl's problem. You know? Yep, that's completely true. Son of God was totally a feminist. <laughs> Down for it. Yeah, Down boy. for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and again, this is this is another another bit from the book. I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. I will keep the law given by God sanctioned by man. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigour. Stringent are they, inviolate they shall be. If at my individual convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth, so I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am insane, quite insane, with my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs. Oh, wow. she's such an intense girl and a flipping lover. That is gangster, Ooh. isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm right in thinking that Charlotte Bronte was in, wasn't she like in love with a man that she was working for at some point? I think it was a teacher. Yeah. I'm not very good on my on my autobiographical details. We might have to look this up afterwards. Yeah, um, damn. but yeah, she was in love with someone that she couldn't have. Basically, I think he was married potentially. That sounds like something that's come from the heart. Yeah, you know? yeah, like yeah. that's that sounds like experience, like rather than yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so she's she's pretty determined not to fall in fall into sin, as she would call it. Yeah. Also in the book. Sorry, I'm, I'm referencing the book a lot because there's so okay. much more in there. Um, <laughs> so before their failed wedding, Jane is determined to keep her head and not be tempted into intimacy too soon. And it's it's actually really enjoyable to read that period before um, before their wedding when she teases Rochester absolutely mercilessly um, oh. because. She's just trying really hard not to kind of lose herself and, you know, kind of get, get ahead of herself. And she's like, we're not we're not going to end up having sex before we get married because, you know, that'd be a disaster. So she's just horrible to him, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you've got to understand it in context. There were plenty of sort of lords out there that would have would seduce a governess or a, or a maid or something with the, yes, we're totally going to get married. Everything's going to be fine. Uh-huh. And then when they get their way, they change their mind. So Jane has no problem saying yeah you want it you've got to put a ring on it you know (laughs) basically proto Beyonce absolutely yeah so she's really prickly with him but she she says she knows that actually he loves it um and it keeps (laughs) him sharp um (laughs) and keeps their relationship fresh you know yeah yeah Mm. yes it does it's pretty great I think I'm scared of her. This girl knows what she's about. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Despite all of this, she doesn't reject passion and sexuality altogether. She's a very sexual being, um, to be honest. She's mm-hmm. she's very attracted to Rochester. We see this side of her nature and how things end with Sinjin, who's another character who comes up later on. So he's the guy that rescues her um, when she's she's half dead in outside their house, basically, when she's... She's run away, but she's got no way to support herself. And she's essentially starving and dying of exposure. Yeah. Um, and he comes comes across her. He's a very religious and pious man, um, mm. but he's really cold and unfeeling. And he tries to persuade Jane of God's design for her. He wants her to go off and be become his wife and be a missionary. But really, it's what he wants for her. Mm. He's saying, this is God's will for you, but really, it's his will for her. And this is something Christians do so much. Mm. Like, ah, oh, God wants this. God wants that. And actually, it's just that... that, that. That's what they I've, want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, somewhere people can use that as a bit of an excuse. He seems like a pr- 
proper sort of like an in inverted commas nice guy who yeah so, you know what this... I mean? it's that exact that exact personality he's bordering on an incel really isn't he absolutely. you know he, that is like... absolutely it, actually i didn't want to say it you incel, should... but that's correct you should come to to India with me, and you should be my wife because that is what God wants for you. Yeah, it's like he's saying, well, like, like, it's my right. You have come to me. I rescued you, so you should help me out. And it's like, no, that's not. How yeah, that, that's not how this works. <laughs> and again, this is one of those another part of, of being a Christian and being fourteen and everything. You think, oh, God, I'm a nice guy. Girls should like me, and it takes you a long time to work out that those two things are not in any way, shape, or form connected. You should be a decent human being. Because because that's just what you should be, you know, yeah. that is minimum standard for humanity. There was a, a verse that I was reminded of when talking about Sinjin, and it's from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 and 2, right before the love is, it's the, one of the most famous passages, you know, the love is patient, love is kind, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. The classic wedding verse. Yeah, the one the one that they trundle out for every wedding. Did we do it? <laughs> no, we, we didn't do it for ours because, you know, we're, we're cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a verse that comes just before it. If I speak in the tongues of men, or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. St. Paul was writing that to uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, and I love that because it hits the nail right on the head that you, you can do all these things, you can be all these things, but if that love isn't resonating out of you, then what is the point of you? And that's what I feel like with St. John. He's one of the other models of Christianity I wanted to talk about. This idea of a, a piousness and a sincere, a sincere sort of um, heart to seek God, but without the the love that you need to back it up. Yeah, he seems yeah. to be following the path of God, but sort of at the behest of his humanity. Like he just he isn't really mm. seeing other yeah. people's point of view at any point. He's just kind of like, well, there, there must be a cause and effect. I did this, you do this for me. Come on, let's do this. And mm. it's like, yeah. Not really. And what what is interesting is that Jane Jane says of him that she thinks it's even worse because he does have feelings in there. He does have feelings for people, but he just absolutely crushes them with piety and religiousness. He just doesn't seem to have really any any compassion. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of. Yeah kind of have to have that you know yeah. did you yeah. Yeah. follow a path true so through, throughout the film and the book we see these different portrayals of what it means to be a christian we've got the hypocrisy of mrs reed and mr brocklehurst who want to have all the appearance of being religious um and being christian but are cruel and selfish mm. and the faithfulness and devotion of sinjin but which is without love or generosity of spirit and jane is is passionate and loving but she tempers that with faithfulness to god's will even when it costs her everything and ultimately that works out for her good so i think she's meant to be kind of held up as, as, as a good balance <laughs> of the yeah. two kind of thing you know that she she has the feeling um but she also has the sense absolutely there was one last issue that i, I wanted to, to talk about and it's one thing that i feel like the story swerves quite sort of deliberately have you ever heard of the phrase being equally yoked i have i don't get it but i have okay equally yoked is a frankly uh, clunky term used to describe a very basic concept so a literal yoke is like the wooden cross piece that is placed on the shoulders 
of two ah. animals as they pull a plow or a cart. Oh, I see. So if you yeah, if one if you're not equally yoked, then one's going to pull pull ahead or pull away this sort of thing, you know? What has come to mean in sort of modern terms is don't be in a relationship with someone whose faith is not the same as yours, okay? So 2 Corinthians 6:14, we've got uh St Paul again saying, "Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can ha- can light have with darkness?" And what that's basically saying in simple terms is that or at least the way it's interpreted is if you're a christian you probably shouldn't be marrying a non-christian you know and in in other other terms if you're if you're like an established christian if you've been a christian for a long time you probably shouldn't be marrying a a a new christian you know have you never heard that no No? okay all right because you you where you are on your journey of faith is is very different at that Mm. point you know and a lot of people can really rail against that and it's and it sounds very reductive but to give another example if you wanted kids could you see yourself marrying somebody who doesn't want kids I couldn't because how would you reconcile each other's choices, each other's sort of yeah. like wants and needs? You, there's no way. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is the, this is the lesson I I learned about my relationships is you. I think for me the most important thing is with in the person you're with is that you share values. Yeah. You have yeah. to have the same values. You can have completely different interests and and you know come from completely different backgrounds, but you have to share values. Otherwise, you're just coming from completely different places and you're going in completely different directions. Yeah, yeah. Like like Claire, I've had relationships with in the past with, with non-Christians, and it's it's mind-bending because you you're so compatible on so many different levels, but this one fundamental thing you're at means you're both looking out at things in different directions, and it's an absolutely key thing. It just means that you should share the same values and it's so important having those conversations ahead of time now for my money i can't tell whether mr rochester is a christian but i can definitely say with a level of confidence that his faith isn't nearly as strong as jane's is and i feel like i don't know what you think of this criticism but i think charlotte bronte is just kind of ignoring that because reasons (laughs) i don't know that it's ignored necessarily Mm. because it is it is addressed like he talks about he knows that the way he's living is is wrong like his mm. lifestyle because he's so unhappy um with the way his life's turned out and the fact that he's he's stuck married to this crazy woman yeah which has issues in of, in of itself i could get into the whole feminist uh, blah 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 yeah let's not um <laughs> we love our feminism we're like go feminism it's oh, your yeah. birthday but this episode is running on quite long as it yeah, is yeah. <laughs> we'll need another yeah. episode for that yeah so yeah he basically goes out and shags whoever he wants and mm-hmm. and just lives lives the life that he wants because he thinks he deserves it and because he's just like i don't care anymore he's a rich property owner in the middle of the 1800s the entirety of civilization is basically telling him that he can do that you know i feel like the uh, term with him would be just lapsed like i feel yeah. like his fundamentals are still somewhere deep inside mm. or he's just i completely agree he's just not feeling it anymore because life's dealt with a bit of a dab and kind of thing so he's just not really i don't know yeah. i think i completely yeah. agree by. yeah and i think you know you you see this with people something bad has happened to them in their lives and and it means they're angry at god and they think why should i follow follow the right way or, or yeah. what, what i've 
grown up with or what I've been taught when this is what's been dealt me and I'm going to do what I want. And I think that's kind of where he's coming from. Yeah, I think the way um, Bronte addresses this issue of the house burns down and Rochester basically is, is humbled by going temporarily blind as if that's a thing. Temporarily? I thought he was yeah. just blind. He gets some sight back. He got better. He doesn't you know. get all of his sight back. He gets some sight back. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit creepy at that point where it's like the author just sort of takes him down a peg or two or three or ten so Damn. he's he's definitely a lot more humble by the time they actually get around to the, to the marrying and having kids you know yeah, you'd but, hope so, um, wouldn't it's you? basically like he has to be punished enough in order to deserve jane kind yeah of and i mean this is this is the victorian era effectively isn't it so we can we can understand if you if you need to spank your protagonist a little bit to, uh, to get him on side but I think what's really key, actually, much more important than what happens to Rochester, is that in the meantime, Jane becomes much more independent and her own woman. Yeah. She gets her own independent fortune. She lives on her own, has her own job. And I think that's what's really key, so that by the time she comes back to Rochester, well, they're on a much more equal footing and uh, the power balance is a bit better. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Listen, Clash, considering that you only had a few hours prep time to come up with your notes for this episode, <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. I am so so impressed with you thank you so much you're very welcome whenever you want to come back on the show you come back sweetheart oh, okay just just first in mid-recording you yeah. know what i mean just like hi yeah i have a point to make so in terms of reviews we got a fantastic review from aiden jenkins who said on our facebook page that we are an excellent often hilarious but always engaging look at some of the most iconic films and how god faith and the message of the gospel are evident in these excellent podcasts to engage the atheist and the person of faith alike highly recommend thank you so much Aiden I cannot tell you how much we really enjoy people listening to our stuff and letting us know about it it really makes our day honestly thank you so, so much it makes my day as well <laughs> thank you so much for listening guys if you're a returning listener we're really glad to have you back and if you're new to the podcast I'm actually kind of jealous of you because you have this whole backlog of episodes to listen to Phil have you had a good time every single time every time we do an episode I have fun Claire have you had a good time I have had such a good time I always like talking about Riley, have you had a good time? Riley thinks it's fine. He just thinks that some of our reviews and analysis of Jane Eyre was a little bit superficial. But uh, that's okay. You, we you can. Know, you know what? Son, when you've got your own podcast, you can go into it in as much depth as you like. I appreciate the feedback, Riley. Thank you. Thank you. It's very. Yeah. Appreciate really it. the heart. <laughs> See you soon, guys. Bye. 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 Good and Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. God in Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case write your criticisms down in iambic tetrameter in an ABAB rhyme scheme, four lines per stanza in six uniform stanzas. Keep constantly refining your review over and over until you've amassed an impressive body of work, but your crushing shyness means your reviews will only be published posthumously, at which point you will be hailed as a bold, underappreciated voice of your time.